The Misspots Podcast has good news for the WWE. We are issuing a one-time-only continuity pass for the company. They are allowed, actually, we demand that starting this next Monday Night Raw, the WWE needs to completely drop the idea of Bob Lashley and Lana ever being a couple. Never refer to it again. Pretend it never happened. This is not something we would normally do. We are continuity freaks, but we are giving you a one-time pass. Take advantage of this. Get rid of this garbage aspect of a good storyline. You're welcome. This and other gimmies coming up on the Misspots podcast. That would that that would be a very wonderful break of continuity. Can you believe that I did that all in one take? Uh no, I cannot. Ah, that's so rare. Uh, yes, it, <laughs> I, so much. So many times, I am I, I am the continuity guy, the, the person that gets so frustrated on things. And I was sitting there watching the episode, going, "There's one thing wrong with this storyline. It doesn't make any sense." The, the Lana thing makes no sense because you've got a heel valet slash manager and a heel manager fighting over this heel. <laughs> Who are we supposed to sympathize with? Who are we supposed to like? And also, I know usually you go like, oh, we're going to talk about Raw and we're going to get into this. We're just talking about it. We're already in. We're already knee deep in it, Mike. Uh, Lana, Lana is the Nia Jax of talking like Lana Lana and acting is to Nia Jackson wrestling because she is so unbelievable every time she's on camera she misses like she's it sounds it seems like someone's off 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 camera going Lana it's your turn to talk now or she's gonna turn (laughs) to the side and go line every single time she's on camera what this line yeah and I, I I think back to her playing that the Russian character when Rusev was first called up, and it was super cheesy. But I think the fact it was so cheesy, it was so poorly acted, it worked within the character. Yeah. But now that she's not talking in an accent, she's somehow worse. That yeah. Ever since they have slowly, when they slowly diminished the accent, and then got rid of it completely. It was like, she sounds more robotic talking in her natural voice than she did in a fake voice. I, 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 it boggles my mind how that is possible, but here I am looking at it dead on uh, week after week in WWE. Yeah. She's, she just has to go. And I, I, I want to say that I love the way Raw went off the air this week. I love the way that we cut 
the WWE is so polished. It is so, so slickly produced that you have the feeling that everything has to fit in this tight little box. And one of the th- great things we saw with AEW in the first week or so, we had time limit draws. We had things like that. And AEW has gone completely away from that. We haven't seen a time limit draw in since the first, the second week or the first or second week of the program, which I think is a mistake. It's one of the things that gave it a sport-like feel. Raw, even back in the Attitude Era, the 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 holy grail of professional wrestling, if you want to listen to anybody our age, unfortunately, uh, you had segments that didn't seem like they were overproduced. You went off the air in the middle of something. It didn't have this natural conclusion where the two people get together and they're broken up. And they're might, uh, yeah, staring down one another. Yeah, it because that would be too cinematic. That's how you would write it. But you would have things go off the air when they just got together and you had to f- tune in to find out what happened. And when you have the show go off the air with Bob Lashley having Drew McIntyre in the full Nelson, which I talked about how much I loved it last week, I go, yes, that's exactly what I want for my professional wrestling program. So the high point, ironically, of Raw was the last thing that they did. <laughs> you know, the, them going off the air and not showing us something was the best thing about the episode. They were so good at uh, finishing off the show and going away. They were so good at not showing us something. <laughs> Their best decision was not giving us something to look at. But other than that... Um, Let's switch it up a little bit. Tell me anything you liked about Raw this week. Liked. Um the the uh Randy's promo I I thought was great. Was really good. Yeah. Mhm. Uh the the Shawn Michaels bit I felt was unnecessary. I didn't it, watch it, it. It was it it was very cheesy and scripted to me. It, him going like, "Oh, I've had I've had tons of great matches through my career. I can't even remember them all, but this one, oh, like trying tr- trying to get Shawn Michaels, truly one of the best performers of all time, to have to say this match might be one of the best of all time. I don't buy it. I'm sorry. I, I just want all I can say about this greatest match of all time. It's the only bad thing about this program. Yeah, is this really overhype, is. Yeah, that this buzzword, this bullshit. Whatever happens, and I and I do believe that Randy Orton can put on a great match, and I do believe that Edge, even though he hasn't been around, can come back and put on a great match. Whatever happens, watch this match, and directly after it, watch uh, Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 12, it would have been. Was it 12 or 13? Uh, I think 12, yeah. I think it was 12. Watch that match afterwards. And if you think that whatever that Randy Orton and Edge do at that match is better, and I, I'm just predicting this because that's one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time. Watch anything by Flair and Steamboat and then watch this next to it. Saying this is the greatest. Sean saying and Brett that, was 12. That was 12. So it was 13. That yeah. was... Uh, that was uh, Austin. Brett and Stone Cold, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, it's just embarrassing to say that. you Promoting the greatest wrestling match of all time 
before it's happened. If these guys go out there and put on one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time and you want to build off of that for a rematch, saying this just was one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time, sure. But the the pre-build for this is just fucking idiotic and it's embarrassing. Yeah. Anything else you liked? Uh, no. Uh, these are things I did not like. Why would you book Oscar and Charlotte? Oh, I have things that I do not like. I know, but I, I now you went first for the likes. Okay. I'm going yeah, yeah, first yeah. for the like. Why would you book Oscar and Charlotte? To what end are you booking Oscar and Charlotte? To burn us out on a match that we might want to see? Check. You win. Uh, to make Charlotte a... Uh, to book a champion versus champion for no reason just to do it with no build? Check. To make Charlotte look like an did, afterthought did you catch- in a Nia Jax and Asuka feud? Check. It is. It it serves... Nobody tuned in to watch this match because you did not promote it beforehand. Nobody stuck around to watch this great match when it was when it was in the middle of a fuse with other people. It is nonsense to book this match. Did you catch how Tom Phillips said neither one of these women can afford to lose this match? And it's I like, didn't. you just gave away the, yeah, like, one, I knew that there was going to be a, fi- a no finish, but you just gave away the finish by saying like, hey, these two champions, neither one can afford to lose it. But if you have to say that, don't book that match and not only that of course they can the, their titles are on the line they they absolutely could lose this match it means nothing it's a meaningless match it's not it's not a grudge match because yes they've had some history but they haven't been going at it tooth and nail for the last several weeks they're not in any kind of program with each other it's a thrown together match to say you did it that's all it is it's all it is. And everything they did in that match could have been accomplished. First of all, Charlotte was superfluous on that show completely. She did not need to be there. It did. It no. served no one. They could have done this exact same thing with Asuka versus freaking Dana Brooke. And it would have been the same thing. So I, I just, I cannot stand telling us that this is a big deal when, it, when we all know it is absolutely not a big deal. Uh, you know, I, I have to I have to call out the job squad because you have to call out the job squad every week, I guess. You know, these people can't win matches and they got rid of creator wrestler number 37 and they still can't win matches. Get them away from Apollo Crews. If you're trying to put Apollo Crews over, get them away from him so Apollo Crews can win matches. And by the way, Pointless tag team matches with KO and Apollo Crews after they've wrestled a match. Is there any more lazy way to book a wrestling show? I don't think there is. No. I just, I, I just don't, I don't think that there is. Uh, I, I and just speaking of the job squad, have to call out nothing less interesting to me than Angel Garza seducing Chuck Caruso. <laughs> nothing less interesting to me uh if he's a heel why is she into him yeah and why is she playing along with this uh there everything about it is wrong everything about it is misplaced and nothing about this will ever get over i'll just call it and i'm right 
Uh, yeah, and and so, what is Zelina's issue with this whole thing? Why is she mad? Maybe she's jealous because she, uh, you know, she's jealous of the attention. I, I can see parts of that. If, if, if Chuck Caruso were not into this at all, and Angel Garza was delusional in all of this, and Zelina Vega was still kind of jealous of him giving attention to somebody else, that could be teasing some part of their relationship or some part of their their business or personal relationship. And it would make sense in the context of the character. It, it, none of this adds up. It all it all sounds like something that people it's a it's a preformed idea that they're just running with in a half-hearted and shitty way. Which also kind of describes Seth Rollins talking for six minutes when everything he said could have been done in 1.5 minutes. There, there's just there's just stuff that happens on the show that never adds up and never deserves the amount of time that they actually give it. Yeah. And since you're yawning, and I can see you doing that, <laughs> I will continue on with the fact that the... The match with with uh, with Black and Rollins. <sighs> Why are they telling me that Alistair Black's mentor is Rey Mysterio Jr.? Oh, that was my other thing that I I have an issue with. Like, if you're going to do that, this is another thing that speaks of no planning. If you really wanted to book this angle, show these people interacting once backstage or something. There. They just have the commentary tell us stuff that has no basis in reality, and we're just supposed to take their word for it. Alistair Black was this dude that sat in a room and wanted people to pick a fight with him. That wasn't great, but it it told me he was a loner that was going to kick somebody's ass, and he wanted to fight somebody. Now he's fighting for his friend's honor. Yeah, of a person— That in no way relates to his character, that in no way you could, if, if you tell me, and, and listen, I bet you Alistair, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Alistair Black and Rey Mysterio Jr. are best buds behind the scenes. I don't know. Maybe they travel together. But on screen, you cannot imagine Alistair Black and Rey Mysterio sitting down in a Waffle House having a conversation. <laughs> Not as their characters that we see on TV. It makes no sense. And Umberto Carrillo, you picture Umberto Carrillo going over Alistair Black's house for, for, for cocktails. You can't do it because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but they throw this in there and they tell us this and we all go, Bullshit. This is like uh, when we were always calling out the women's feuds. Is like this is so and so's best friend, so and so's friend. Like it's there's always got to be a friend relationship there, and that is what they've done. They've just thrown Alistair Black into this. Like you are now Rey Mysterio's understudy. Like this guy, he grew up in Europe. He like, <laughs> I'm I'm not saying that he couldn't have watched Ray Mysterio and been like, oh man, that guy's great. I wanna wanna take some some aspects of him into my. He is not trained by Ray Mysterio. <laughs> They've had 
practically no interactions with one another in professional wrestling until the last couple months. If the, close, the closest thing they have to a connection is they were both thrown off the roof in that god-awful ladder <laughs> yeah, match. That's the only connection much. they have. Uh, it is just, it's. I hate when they do this. It, there's no foreshadowing. There's no storytelling. It's just, it's just have the commentators say it enough, and then it becomes a thing. And that is not a good way to do anything. It's a good way to waste my fucking time. Now, the one good thing about this feud is, is I think Seth Rollins, his new music. Uh, I I, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Seth Rollins, up until very recently ago, was what I am now calling a ha ha heel, and that's a heel that after he says something goes ha ha. <laughs> he used to do this constantly, yeah. and people that don't don't cut good promos do that constantly. You can watch that over and over and over again. And there's also what I, what Seth Rollins was as a babyface is a you know what babyface. And that's a babyface that says, "You know what? I'm going <laughs> to do this. You know what? You thought this, but you know what? It's bad promo work." Seth right now in this character is actually is actually more comfortable cutting promos than I've ever seen him before. He's calm for the most part he doesn't have a lot of wasted words unless they give him six minutes to say what he could get it by in two he seems to be straightforward he seems to be comfortable in the role all that works trying to blind a guy with the ring steps i'm all for that i'm that's a good angle that's a guy having to come back and and fight back from being injured i, I like everything about this except for it the alistair black stuff and now, did you have to throw in Dominic? Do we believe, do we believe in any way, shape, or form that Dominic is going to step up and fight Seth Rollins? He does not look like a professional wrestler. He, where are we, what world are we in? This is David Flair. This is what I'm looking at. <laughs> Why would we believe that this person can fight Seth Rollins, a multiple-time champion? He's never wrestled a match. We haven't seen him do any of this. Rey Mysterio Jr., as a small person, was in great shape, and it was years of build to make him a believable foil for a, uh, you know, a heavyweight division and to go against the kind of guys he's done. And this stuff with his son just doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, the best thing they could do in this is just have Seth beat the shit out of him. But we, and also, even if we just saw this with Brock Lesnar yeah, uh -oh. just a few months ago. God, I forgot about that. They just pulled this card. They're pulling it again. And it wasn't great the first time when they had Tank Abbott come in and be a part of the fucking angle. And long-time listeners to the podcast will know that I know who Kane Velasquez is. I just don't respect the fact that he was ever a professional wrestler. Um, yeah, I just... I, it's like they got good. They have a few good ideas in here. They do a nice old school angle, but they have to put a bunch of bullshit in there around it. Yeah, uh, this this old school angle, very good point, is just putting out a guy 
with an injury, air quotes in there, and making you feel sympathetic for that baby face who's going to be out for a while so that when they come back and take on the heel, surprise the heel, that they're back and they're better than ever and they're they're completely healed and ultimately win, like then it's it's a great thing. But yeah, you don't you don't have to throw all these extra cogs into this. It's a it's a simple machine. It doesn't need all those cogs. You could have Seth feuding with Alistair Black right now, and actually for a real reason, because he doesn't fucking like the way the guy looks or see whatever. He he bumped into him in the line of the buffet. I, I don't care what it is. You could have that going on with the other thing on the background. It doesn't have to be about fighting for the honor of, of someone we have we have no concept of them ever being affiliated with. So, yeah, uh, that was raw for me. Anything else you want to talk about that? No, you you hit practically both the points that I wanted to bring up of bad things in the show. Uh, so yeah, uh, as for AEW, um, oh, before we get into that, oh, did you okay. like my concept of haha heels and you know what baby faces? It's, it's pretty po- uh, on point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with that in your mind, if watch- you got to laugh at your own things and that's, yeah, like I- with that in mind, just keep that in your back of your mind when you're watching ba- like promos going forward, and you'll see it. You'll see that with with bad heel promos, and you'll see it with every babyface promo when they're trying to scramble for words on how to make any kind of continuity go on. <laughs> anyway, yeah. go ahead. AEW. I, I, AEW. <laughs> so, two title matches. Uh, like I, I want to talk about the title matches first okay. and foremost. We had the tag team title match um, with uh, Kenny and Hangman taking on uh, uh, Havoc and Sabian. It was a good match. We knew what the outcome was going to be. I don't think that there was any threat in that at all. Was it a good match? I thought it was a fine match. Hmm. Uh, I... I there was there was some shenanigans, but I think that that plays into uh, have uh, why can't I remember his first name? Jimmy Havoc. Uh, Jimmy, there we go. Uh, Jimmy Havoc's character. Um, I, I I thought I, it, I think it plays into a bunch of bullshit because there were tons of there was tons of crap in this. There was uh, Penelope Ford trying to perform a fucking move on Adam Page in the middle of the ring in front of the ref and he doesn't call for a DQ. If you're going to send someone to the back, that's for someone trying to trip you up. That's for someone trying to get involved and it doesn't work. That's where that spot's for. She but that's what happened. No, She tried to no, attack no, no, no. and no, it no. didn't work. She did attack that person. She jumped and started a Hurricane Rana just because he's big enough to not take the Hurricane Rana. And no, absolutely not. If someone were to the, do how that, is that, how is no, that attempting no, no. but not succeeding? She did no. not attack him. It no, did she, not succeed. She did attack him. She 100% attacked then him. Then what's an attempted the, attack then? If, if someone swings at somebody, I don't know, wildly. I know what. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm an idiot. <laughs> Listen, I cannot believe you would call for the bell, in my opinion, immediately in the center of the ring when the manager comes off the top rope to attempt a fucking Hurricane Rana. Uh, you had a situation where uh, Kenny Omega, you had Havoc 
going towards his corner for a tag with Kip Sabian, Omega abandons him in the middle of it to go walk back into the corner with Adam Page. And Jimmy Havoc is forced to... Oh, uh, to, I do remember to, that spot. On his knees, an inch from that, not not in a situation like a baby face is where he, he's got no energy to get to it. Omega fucked that up completely and left him out there naked in the middle of the wind. I fucking hated that. Uh, and it, then yeah. you had... You had Jimmy Havoc swing a fucking hacksaw at a babyface in full view of the referee, and that doesn't call for a DQ. He tried to cut him with a fucking hacksaw. That's that's fine because he didn't connect with it. That's okay. So if I pull a gun out and walk up to the ring and point it at Adam Page, that's not a DQ. It's fine as long as a bullet doesn't hit him. I hated this match. I, it was overbooked. You take all that stuff out of it, fix all that, you might have a decent match. But I, I, no, none of that was necessary. Absolutely none of that was necessary in any way, shape, or form. I'm not going to debate the necessity of that, that stuff. I am going to debate you on the logistics of it. Uh, like, okay, we're, we're, we're past the hurricanrana. That's fine. I'm right on that. You're allowed to be wrong every once in a while. Uh, But attempted illegal activities to me have never, I I believe, warranted disqualifications. Even in the old school, you could bring a chair into the ring and attempt to hit a person with, with said chair. And the referee isn't going to DQ you unless you actually connect with said chair. And that's why, like, the yeah, the hacksaw is a little attempted ho- hokey. Murder. I, I it is get attempted that, but murder. <laughs> it is idiotic. It is idiotic to use it. It was a tag team title match that in no way needed that. It is. If you think you need that in your wrestling match, then put on a better wrestling match. I I don't disagree with you there. I'm just saying from a, a, a logistic standpoint, the rules. To me, it's usually you have to connect in order to actually be disqualified. That's the way I've always looked at it. And that's now that's fine and dandy like sour candy. Listen, uh, but it don't make it right. I, this was this was a choppy, spotty match that had way too much bullshit going on in it with two guys in Havoc and Kip Sabian that do not belong in the ring with the tag champs that never should have been put in that position when we have number one contenders sitting behind them that supposedly earned that spot. And none of it worked for me. I did not enjoy this. I None of it. I want to stay on, on tag teams for, for a few minutes because... Uh, FTR was in the crowd watching this match. Mm-hmm. We we had a uh, interview segment with FTR later on in the evening, and there was there were some good things to that. Uh, there was also some bad things to that. Um, what was the bad? I'm I'm interested to know. Uh, they they downplayed the dream match between them and the young bucks only to a couple minutes later uh saying that 
it was like a dream to be standing across the ring from them after people have been talking about it for for years. It's like, wait, you just said these they are not one of your dream matches. You just want to punch them in the face. But then you are in the ring with them, and it was like a dream. I, I didn't it, catch that. It, it it was it was poor ch- uh, choice of words, mm. and for a uh, a pre taped segment like that, someone should have picked that up and been okay. like, uh, "Let's not do that." Everything else about it, I really liked, especially the little dig at the Lucha Bros. Did you I catch love that? that. Oh, that, <laughs> you think I didn't catch that? Yeah. I want someone to use the fucking tag ropes. By the way, Adam Page and fucking Kenny Omega and Havoc and your boy Kip Sabian that you fucking love this match so much. Never use a tag ropes a single goddamn time. If they're there, use them. If not, get rid of them. If there's no rules, there's no reason to fucking have the program. Um, this ain't goddamn ECW. <laughs> But when the FTR segment happened, I was blown away. These guys, they were confident. They cut good fucking promo. They talked. They they explained what's going on. I did not catch what you what you talked about on this. But I like the fact that, like, no, we want to kick the shit out of the Young Bucks. We don't yeah. fucking like them. We want to punch them in the mouth. And they also set up their first match really well. Yeah. It, it started last week. These guys have a problem with them. Now, they're both heels, we think. Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of, yeah. That's not great, but it's, uh, it is a team that for us is going to be a baby face in FTR and with Butcher and the Blade that no one really gives a shit about. And they're going to go beat the shit out of them. It's going to be good. I liked their charisma. I liked the way they talked about tag team wrestling. And when I was watching, because I knew that this promo obviously was coming up because AEW billboards everything they're going to do at the start of the match. At the start of the show, like you should do, like the WWE never does, one of the little things that makes the show more watchable. And I was sitting there watching the Omega and Page match going, you know, uh, I bet you FTR uses those goddamn tag ropes. I bet you they're actually going to abide by the rules and make this a good, make good tag team matches. I bet you them versus Omega and Page would be a fucking barn burner. So... Yeah, I, I liked everything about this segment for the most part. Yeah, uh, I, I did like it. I, I just didn't like that one particular thing with their their mm-hmm. use of words of dream. Like, if you're gonna if if you're gonna play down being uh, not uh, Bucks not being a dream match and talking about these all these other dream matches that you want to be a part of, don't just then use that word dream when you're saying when we stood across the ring from them. Um, but moving on, uh, through the show, um, I know I said we were going to talk about the title matches right from the start. Let's not do that. Uh, no, let's, let's, have, let's talk about that. No, no, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Um, so Co- Cody and, and Jungle Boy. What, what you do you think, think I match? thought about this? No, no. You tell me what I thought about this match. Cause I'm interested because you know me, you usually know me pretty well. Uh, too much outside stuff. Oh my God, Mike, I could kiss you. Why? <laughs> Why? I. Cody Rhodes. It's like he he goes out and cuts promos that make me want to fucking believe in this guy. I love what he does in the ring. He's not. He's not a worker. Like he's not one of the top twenty workers in the business right now. 
but he tells stories in the ring and he does a great job and he cuts the best promos going right now. For my money, MJF and Cody cut the best promos in the fucking business. And MJF cuts great heel promos, but Cody makes me believe in him every time he gets on the stick. I fucking love it. And he's been in great feuds that have worked to different degrees, the Lance Archer thing, not as well. But every one of his fucking matches, you could cut 20% out of them and they would be the same match. The table spot at the end was the definition of superfluous. It did not matter. They took a big bump out to the outside onto a table. Cody's up in like 10 seconds, goes inside. They fuck around for two more minutes and he hits his fucking finish. It, they in no way... Even it did not affect the finish. You, if you were going to replay that match, you'd cut that out because it didn't tell any part of the story. The outside stuff with him headbutting the wall that could have been done in less than 45 seconds. You could have done that with the 10 second or 20 second rule they have on the outside. They didn't have to take the time they needed to do to do that. I, I just wish someone would sit there and go, hey, man, less is more. Because the story they wanted to tell was really good. And if you give me the editing software, I could edit that match down so that I would fucking love it. And (laughs) I believe also, honestly, other people would like it more too. Just subconsciously, when the match flows better and tells a better story, even though the big table bump didn't happen and we're not an ECW we, you know, people are going to get all excited about that, but I, I really do think subconsciously people would enjoy it more if they just did a little bit less in the Cody Rhodes matches. Uh, first of all, everyone needs to go over to YouTube and subscribe to Kevin's channel, uh, which is called Kevin Does Final Cut, uh, where he <laughs> does uh, some uh, video editing, apparently. I, dude, I would fucking crush this shit. Uh, but this match seemed to tell a story to me that apparently I missed all of the build-up to. This had, like, blow-off type of vibe and, 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 and work. Like, we had color in this match. We had a yeah. big, a big uh, outside table spot. Like, all of this stuff is, is what you would expect from a long-running feud. This was a open challenge weekly thing for uh, Cody's title, albeit the first one, but there's no big history between these two. And I felt like they put on a match that was a finale to something that had no beginning and middle. Uh, Like it was, I, I, I agree that there was a lot of good stuff there and a good story to be told, but, some of the parts of the story, I'm like, what did I miss that we got, we came to this? Let me put on my agent hat here, okay? I, I like the MJF stuff and the Jungle Boy stuff on the outside. I think it continues a few that's, that, you know, we had this at the pay-per-view, but this, this, this could go on. Do that. Let Jungle Boy come out. 
let MJF slap him on the chest as he walks by him on ringside. And while we're waiting for Cody to come out, let him jaw jack with Wardlow and MJF on the outside. Let him say the exact same things they were doing. Let Jim Ross and uh, Shivani and Excalibur talking about, hey, listen, MJF's out here screwing with Jungle Boy, getting in his head before this match with Cody Rhodes. You get all that stuff out of the way. Doesn't have to happen in the middle of the match. Doesn't have to kill the momentum of it. Then do your spot. And you know what? I disagree a little bit with you. And I I normally wouldn't on this position, but this was telling a story of Cody doing everything and anything to defend this title. He said he was going to run the gauntlet. He was going to be the champion. He was going to show heart and determination like we've never seen. So having him in the first match get color by headbutting the ramp or whatever he did. I don't think it's the best move, but I can I can follow that. But what I can't follow is them beating on the fucking outside for a minute and a half, minute and a half while it happens. But you could have Jungle Boy take that first headbutt, duck the second one. Cody headbutts the ring ape or headbutts the stage. Jungle Boy rolls in and rolls out. Jim Ross says, "Well, Jungle Boy can't win that title if Cody gets counted out." So he pulls Cody back in the ring, and then the match goes on. You. Don't have to break the rules of the match. You don't have to kill the momentum of it by having Jungle Boy inner uh, doing his thing with MJF. You get that out of the way earlier on, and then the rest of the match happens in the ring. And then yes, Cody has color, and Cody is fighting through all of this. And Jungle Boy is an underdog, but Cody's also fighting through something. And they go through it, and they hit the same fucking finish without the goddamn outside table spot that didn't matter at all. And we all go home happy. And we see a babyface versus babyface match where the one guy holds the other guy's hand up and they both look better at the end of it and we love what we see. Yeah. I don't know why that's so hard. Yeah, I I, I, I get your point about the, about the bleeding. And yeah, that, especially when you, when you frame it in that way of Cody trying to go all out to keep this title that he cares about a lot. Um, but, but, but you didn't get that immediately. So they didn't no. do the, they didn't do a great yeah. job saying it. And by the way, not for nothing. I do think another, one of the great things about AEW is the commentary is much better than it is on raw and on WWE in general. But, Jim Ross, Excalibur, Tony Schiavone, are you telling us that story? Are you telling us that Cody said he was going to come out here and he was going to cut a path that you'd never seen before and he was going to be resilient and he was going to outlast you? They didn't mention that. Cody said that he was going to, that nothing was going to stop him and I guess that blood's not going to stop him either. They they did they did mention the blood. They did mention it getting in his eyes. They did all the great wrestling stuff, but they didn't tie it into the story that we were overall seeing. Very true. And yeah. that would have been a better thing for you. Uh, and it would have been overall, obviously, you didn't get it. I think what they were trying to get across, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a blow-off fucking feud. I don't know. But I fucking love this guy, and I want to see him. But every one of his matches, it's like they had 14 ideas. And they tried to jam them all into the same fucking match when seven would have done. And that's the thing that frustrates me about it. Hmm. Somebody, some producer, someone's got to come and go, hey, man, fucking take a step back. You got, you, the rest of this is all really good. Let's just do this. Yeah. Less is more, people. Less is fucking more. What do you think about uh, the cage and mocks thing?
I think one of the interesting things about watching AEW, a new promotion, a newer promotion now, it's been around for less than a year, at least on on TV, is we're seeing the way these characters, many of them I've never seen before and some I saw in WWE, have kind of developed. John Moxley is less impressive to me every time I see him. I don't think he should be the world champion. I don't think his in-ring work, I'm, I'm less impressed every match I see. Uh, his promo work is either solid or spotty. John Moxley is a hell of a hand, and I think he has a fucking place in the world of professional wrestling and he, and all that stuff. I don't think he should be the world champion. I think there's a reason why he was the... He honestly often is not even the main event of of Dynamite or a pay-per-view. Uh, I, I, I didn't care for this. I, I, I liked what Taz said before Moxley came out, other than the fact that they were doing WWE levels of hyping the machine. They must have said it 47 times. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. is fucking Michael Cole somewhere in uh, someone's headset saying scream the machine over and over again? That wasn't great. But honestly, and this is this is a little challenge, and we're going to talk more about AEW in this, in this episode, but I want you to think about this. Think about the AEW roster. What guys are you more impressed with or as impressed with every time you see them? And what people are you possibly less impressed with? as you kind of see more and more of their work. Because I've been giving myself that challenge, and there's only a handful of names, and I'm like, you know what? I like them more and more as I see them. There's a lot, there's a lot that I like them less and less that I was really excited about, and I'm like proud and powerful. Fucking thought these guys were great the first couple times I've seen them, and I've been law of diminishing returns. Haven't liked them as much as time's gone by. That, that whole that whole stable, I feel like, is turning comedy. That's part of the reason why I don't care for it. But no, but just in general, if you if you look across, and there's some people, Darby Allen, I almost like him more and more every time I see him. Jungle Boy, like him more and more every time I see him. MJF, Cody, either more or as much. But. There's a lot of guys that I really, I fucking, I like John Moxley. I was thrilled that he went to AEW, and I hate saying anything negative about the guy, but I, I don't feel like he carried that promo. I don't feel like he held himself in a way that sounded like it seemed like a champion. He seemed to stumble over his words and get a little bit lost in the whole thing, and it didn't. It did not seem like the main event shit. Yeah, and I'm fine with a promo not being the main event. Cage should not have been the main event with Moxley cutting a promo and cutting to black. What they did was fine. But Cage and Moxley right now doesn't feel like the main event of any pay-per-view I'd want to watch. And yeah. I think part of that yeah. is Moxley. Possibly. For me. For me. So, yeah, that's the way I felt about this. I just, I, I, I feel like, you know, he, he, he moves between this kind of goofiness in his promos and the ring stuff is like, I don't know. It just doesn't grab me. I can see uh, what you mean. I, I, I don't think that I'm as, as sold on on the uh, 
negative isn't even like really a, a good term to use, but I, I don't think that I'm buying, buying what you're selling uh, quite yet. At this point, right now, do you think Vince McMahon or any? Don't even say Vince McMahon because we all think he's out of his mind. Triple H, who we think has you know his detractors and problems, but someone we no, believe he, has I, a I don't think grasp. that he's being like, man, I we we lost one there. I don't think he is, and, no. and that's a and that's a real shame. Something's going wrong if Triple H isn't looking at John Moxley and going, man, why the fuck didn't we resign this guy? Because I do think that Triple H would be looking at Cody Rhodes and say, why the fuck did we, didn't we keep this guy? I think he would be looking at MJF and saying, why didn't we sign this guy? I think, yeah. there's, some, I think there's some people on that AEW roster that, a, that WWE is kicking themselves for not having. I don't think Moxley's one of them. If he were on TV right now, I would say Pac would be one of them. Yeah. I, yeah, I've all I I love everything he's doing, but this is this kind of like little mental exercise yeah. that I'm doing in my head, and I'm like, I don't think they missed that guy, and yeah. I'm not saying he can't be better. I, I'm not saying I don't like him. I'm not saying I, I I don't want. I just I don't know if he's a champion, and yeah, I'm having I, a I I'm that. having a hard time buying the segments. I get that. Um, I I also was picking up a a little Paul Ellering in Taz. Uh, since becoming this manager type of thing, maybe maybe it's him. Uh, also, the way he walks out before uh his, the the wrestler, which is something Ellering was doing, uh, especially with AOP. He came okay. out first and waited, and then out came AOP. But it there's this little bit of Paul Ellering to to what he's doing, and then he's he's cutting a promo like Taz, uh, a more calmed. Taz. I like what Taz did with his promo. Yeah. I really did. I liked I liked the squash match. I like what Taz did. And I this is the thing. I like what Taz did. I like what the squash match. And I think Moxley didn't add anything to the equation. And that could be because he had nothing to say. Maybe they shouldn't have booked it this way. But he was the worst part of that that segment for me. Yeah. Um what else went on on that uh, show? Uh we we had the women's match. Big Swole and Nia, Nia Jax. What? Redundant. Big Swole. Yes. Redundant. <laughs> Redundant took on Nia Jax. Uh, <laughs> Nia Jax? Oh, shit. Nyla Sorry. Rose? Uh, Nyla Rose. Uh, I, I enjoy this match. I, I thought they told a good story with this. I, the one thing I have a problem with, with Big Swole is that she's not very swole. She's in good shape. I mean, she's yeah. a, she's a fucking athlete. There's no doubt about it. I and mean, she might be fucking strong as shit, but she's no more like like ripped than any other person on that roster. Like and Chris Statlander is like a comparable size to her. Yeah, I I, it, it, I don't know. I just, I think that the gimmick is a little weird. Um, the fact that Nyla Rose was squashing people and then lost her championship, it's good that she won this. I think that was yeah. the right move here. I still think Nyla Rose is one of the... She, to me, is still the, the focal point of this division, other than Britt Baker, in a different way. Uh, so I Did think you overall, like Britt's stuff here? I loved it. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> I, the, the pre-tape stuff was beautiful it was simple and you know what else not a single fucking word had to be said that was a slick package that got across a message of this delusional maniac and it was 
wonderful. And the stuff with the ringside stuff was wonderful. I love what happened with Britt Baker this week. And I liked this match. I thought that uh, that Redundant and uh, Nyla Rose put on a, a good little match that told a good story. I love that name. Uh, redundant. <laughs> redundant. Uh, uh, I, I thought that was good. I really, really disliked the fact that Private Party was doing their best cosplay of the Street Profits and screaming and jumping and being overly enthusiastic. I believe that Private Party was a better version of the Street Profits doing, uh, you know, the cups and the similar gimmick in cer- certain ways. And they just proved me completely wrong by being fucking morons in that little promo with Matt Now Hardy. they're Hardy fanboys. I, I just, I don't get this. I, I, I honestly, I think that they, I really believe like they were, so, be more like them. Why? Don't be like them. They're terrible. Uh, that was a little bit frustrating uh, for me. One thing I really liked and was the simplest thing on the whole fucking card. Darby Allen. They cut to the back one minute. We we forgot that, or, or some people might have forgot that Taz was talking to Darby Allen for weeks on end. And all of a mm-hmm. sudden he shows up with Brian Cage and Brian Cage injures Darby Allen or kind of injures him or might put him out for a week. And Darby Allen just says, you know, that he's going to regret it. I'm going to come back and I'm going to kick this guy's ass. It didn't take a soliloquy in the middle of the goddamn ring, holding a microphone. It was simple. It was straightforward. And it kept the story going. And it was a great little segment. We need more of this. Yeah. Uh, like that. That's the thing about Darby is it, it's, it's always a, to me, he lets his actions speak louder than words. And even if those actions are little videos that he makes, uh, I, I, I kind of dig that. Uh, I love it. There, there's there. It's something different than what we mm-hmm. are used to seeing, and and it is usually short and sweet and to the point. And the, to couple that along with a just general likability in his kind of underdog character that he has going on, uh, yeah, I I'm I've I'm always seemingly behind this guy. But, but just the fact that the AEW was willing to do that one-minute thing to progress a storyline, keep it in the forefront of our minds without doing a lot of bullshit is what we need for good storytelling. You do not need to run a 15-minute segment with 17 paragraphs of dialogue to continue a storyline. Yeah. Sometimes you can just do a one-minute thing, and that's exactly what they did there. Yeah. And it was great. Right. Um, the only thing we haven't talked about was Jericho and Colt Cabana. Yeah. Uh, the the only thing to me really of note from that, and this is a moment where I kind of like comedy, is <laughs> Sammy singing the entrance. You know, I didn't like that as much as I've liked it in the past. Uh, I liked Jericho, it when- you could see Jericho was holding back bursting out laughing i okay first of all i didn't find this particularly funny i found it a little bit annoying but this was not in the middle of a match yeah this was a delusional heel group with a sycophant person in a weird little you know uh, scooter 
I, I'm fine with the comedy in that, in that context. I think it all worked. I don't think anything that happened before this match took away from the match. Yeah. So while I didn't, I wasn't very entertained by it. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. That's your thing. It, it didn't take away from my enjoyment. I loved it. Fine. Good. I thought the match was pretty good. Colt Cabana was not a goof for most of this match. He did not joke yeah. in wrestle comedy. I will say that if it were me, I would have called that match during the Superman Walls of Jericho spot. That was the finish of that match because it was building up to it. It was a crafty veteran move by Jericho, and that should have ended the match. The extra minute or so that they put into the Judas effect and everything kind of fell flat for me. It's a nitpick. It doesn't. It wasn't terrible because it went on a little bit longer. But I think that they had a natural conclusion there uh, that also worked better for the finish that they wanted to do with the Dark Order later on, of you know Colt going for his silly pin and getting beat because he went for his silly pin, and maybe the Dark Order going, well, you know, maybe you need to stop being so silly and be serious with the Dark Order, you know. Not that they're not fucking silly morons, because they are, but they should be portraying <laughs> themselves as not being silly morons. They they are the most inadvertent silly uh, wrestlers. They're not trying yes. to be. They 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 portray they themselves as serious, but they come off as fucking idiots. So yeah, I got you there. So what did you think about that match? Uh the the Jericho Colt match. Yeah. I know you like Colt okay. Cabana. You like your comedy wrestling. Uh, what did you think? I I I thought that it was a, a a nice little match. Like Colt is a good performer. Like like he is a solid worker. Uh, maybe something that is not uh, shown all too often with some of his comedy. Um, and I I've been a guy who has been following Colt. Uh, like not religiously, but I've I I used to watch a lot of Ring of Ring of Honor during the heyday when he was a major uh, player in Ring of Honor. Uh, so I'm very used to what he does, both comedy wise and ring work wise. So it's not a surprise to me to see him be able to put on a, a good professional wrestling match with Chris Jericho. Yeah, I just thought it was solid. I mean, I think it overall was good. It progressed the storyline, I think, with Colt Cabana and the Dark Order, even though I don't give a shit about the Dark Order, but they're trying to keep him relevant. Yeah, I think this was overall, It was this was one of the better things. that Honestly, I will take this Colt Cabana-Chris Jericho match. I will watch it a thousand times over that goddamn stadium stampede match. <laughs> You could play this 24 hours a day, seven days a week in my fucking uh, my living room, and I will tire. I, I will watch that for the next seven weeks over watching five minutes of that fucking stadium stampede match. So, by that account, this was a tour de force. This was the greatest wrestling man match of all time. Did did this also mean that Chris Jericho is the king of wrestling podcasts too by beating Colt Cabana? Like quite possibly. Well, he has to fight Stone Cold Steve Austin for that. Oh, oh, oh I see. And Jr. Which... And Jr. Because you know his wrestling podcast is pretty. And us actually. So I lose battle royal. <laughs> uh, the uh, can you? And, and I'm sorry. This is we, we probably should be signing off here soon. But Sean Spears was gifted 
a fingerless black glove. What does I, that mean? I missed that segment. Did you? I, I Yeah, I think I had to take the dog out real quick because okay. I remember coming back in and seeing Sean Spears very briefly fading out on my screen. So let me set the stage for you, Mike. Okay. Uh, Tully Blanchard dressed down Sean so Spears. So Tully Blanchard is back. Yes. He dressed down Sean Spears on Dark or something or maybe behind, uh, backstage, whatever. The camera's caught. Excuse me. And said, like, you got to get your shit together, basically. What do you want your legacy to be? He cut a great promo on Sean Spears to Sean Spears with a, you know, a camera capturing it all. It was great. It was really good. Then, Tully Blanchard came into an SUV with a package, a little suitcase, actually, to give to Sean Spears. And it was a fingerless black glove. And Sean Spears took it like it was something special. And then it cut to the commentary who said, well, this could be the thing that gets Sean Spears back on track. And then JR said a lot of people have worn that glove over time. And it could be a thing. I'm paraphrasing, I think. But at no point did they really give me context. I don't understand how a black fingerless glove is going to make Sean Spears a better professional wrestler. Now, had they said, you know, Bruiser Brody wore that glove and uh, it's loaded and he beat the shit out of Abdullah the Butcher in Puerto Rico in 1985, I might have gone, oh, well, you know, hey. But they really, they it's like they started to tell why this was important but never finished it and it annoyed the shit out of me. I don't get this. Uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank on what that may mean myself. I'm, uh, I mean, bad news. Brown wore a fingerless black glove. That's who I was thinking of first and foremost, (laughs) but I don't Uh, think him and Tully Blanchard would ever, were ever BFFs. Yeah. I don't, I, I just didn't get it. The, this seems like either it's, Okay, there's two options here. One, it's stupid. Never forget that. That That's always an option. Or two, the commentary did a really poor job of telling us why it wasn't stupid. And neither one of those options are very good. Now, maybe I'm supposed to go, hey, listen, uh, Mike, I wasn't planning on watching AEW next week, but I got to find out what's going on with this fingerless black glove. I don't think that's going to be the reaction for mo- from most people. All right. So I, I found something here. The single black glove has a strong history in professional wrestling with legends like Blackjack Mulligan, Ted DiBiase ah. before he was the million dollar man and Barry Windham. The uh, Blackjacks. Okay. Okay. I can see that. There is a picture on this, uh, thing that I'm reading of Ted DiBiase whole like on a pro wrestling illustrated like way long ago uh with the fingerless black glove on uh like doing the almost like claw pose mm-hmm. like yeah. holding his hand with the the hand extended like the Von Erics yeah yes yes um there uh Bo Dallas is mentioned in this too because he he wore the black glove uh oh, because his, of his grandfather. Yeah. 
Um, so I guess it does have some uh, old school wrestling lineage but, there. But that's but okay. So what are you trying tell to tell us? us? That. <laughs> if the blackjacks and listen, I, I never saw the blackjacks work. The original blackjacks. I saw the new blackjacks, which was fucking garbage in, in WWE in 1996 or 97. But I can, I know who the blackjacks are. Like I, I know that history. I'm a, I'm a big enough fan to know that. Tell me this, and tell me also. Give me some context of why this applies to Sean Spears. Are you saying that he's going to find a tag team partner finally to wear the another glove and be part of this? Right now, it just seems like a bunch of nonsense, and you didn't do anything to help me out. And even my partner in crimes google search doesn't really clear things up so if yeah. i can't even find the the information on the interwebs i don't know why i should be really buying into this and yeah, i can't and believe this is the last thing we're talking about with aew because it's so fucking minute and strange yeah and are they keeping going on with this on again off again sean spears trying to find a tag team partner thing but I'm saying if that would be yeah. part of it, like I'd be if they would say, hey, listen, if if Tully Blanchard would have given him a fucking black glove and he gave them two and said, you got to, you know, we're still looking for someone else to wear the other one. I, I don't know. It, it it seems like they didn't have a story to tell. Yeah. And either someone should have given him the story to tell or they shouldn't have fucking run that vignette because it didn't make any sense like that. We are older wrestling fans, and that was a little uh, esoteric even for us. You know, the funny thing you say about that is I was reading something this week saying that the average WWE fan, I know we're talking about AEW, the average WWE fan is in their 50s. The average? Yes. Wow. (laughs) That's the demographic that is watching the WWE. That is their average fan. Now, by the way, someone is going to look at this and go, no, you're an idiot. You read the wrong fucking article. It's not the way it actually is. But that's my understanding of what I read recently. So, no, most of the fans are us and older and people that grew up on professional wrestling and watched it through different periods. And, uh, yeah, so you, you you can sell us something that is a little bit esoteric and you can tell us something that is a is very very historical. AEW does a great job of doing that. They do a better job than the WWE by a long shot by mentioning these classic characters. But this <laughs> this was just one of those things where you got to spoon feed me a little bit cuz I yeah. didn't get what you were giving me. Yeah. All right. So uh let's wrap it up here. Uh unless you got anything else to say? Nope. All right. Well, thanks everyone once again for joining us. Make sure you check out our social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Spots. <laughs> sounds so enthusiastic saying that. <laughs> well, Make sure guys, you check us out it, on social media. Just fucking go on there and just, just follow. Just us fucking do it. Just you know what? I'm just go. Like, I'm just done with this. You just go uh, ahead li- and fucking follow us. You know, <laughs> fuck it. We'll do it. We'll do it not live. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, listen to the show. I, I, I totally killed you. Go ahead, Mike. You did. Do your thing. I'm sorry. All right. For Kevin, I'm Mike. Good night. <laughs> Good wrestling. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mike.